Good morning. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to be with you all today. My name is Rob Parsons. I'm the Church Vitality Strategist for the Blue Ridge District, and it's an honor to be invited to uh, share a message with you all today. But what makes it particularly delightful is that uh, Rob and I used to go to church together in the late 60s, early 70s, when his father was pastor of the church I attended in Orlando, Florida. My mom is still there. She's been a member 88 years. So she was there when your dad was an associate and then later as the senior pastor. Um, And uh, because Luke was also the church vitality strategist here, um, it's a position that kind of continues to change and morph through the years. So I kind of pitch it as I am hired by the conference to work in the district. So my office is just over there in West Asheville with the understanding that every church has something to share and something to learn. And as we seek to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world, I help with that process. I get the chance to go to a different church every Sunday and worship. I could start in Spruce Pine or down in Rutherfordton. I might be in Marion or out west in Rosman. But um, it's just an absolute gift to be able to Um, be in so many congregations and to experience the the love of God and Jesus Christ as we gather today. So I invite you uh, as we read today from John chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 5. And I pray that you listen with the ears yearning to hear how God will speak to you. So Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. 
and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he the one who is speaking to you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So it was about that time in the late 60s or early 70s that I began to learn what it was like to run around in a neighborhood and uh, I quickly learned as watching my mother that when someone new moved into, ta- into the neighborhood, she would take over uh, you know, a plate of brownies or maybe a pie or something like that as a, as a welcoming gift. And then what I, I learned was we discovered what kind of neighbors they might be by how the plate was returned. I don't know if you've experienced this or not, but where we were from, if a plate came back empty, it was like, whoa, it was supposed to come back full of other brownies or sweets or things like that. And it was interesting, I was talking with a friend about that, and he said, you know, in the neighborhood where I grew up, it was different. He said, when someone moved into the neighborhood, people would go and borrow something from them. I know. But he said it just changed the dynamics. And he told me this story to kind of explain it. He, he, he told me the story of a, uh, a rich king who had a friend come to visit. And so this king went to one of the poor shepherds and asked of him a lamb that he might be able to prepare a dinner for his friend. And though the man had little, he gave him this lamb. And the king provided a wonderful dinner for his friend. And at the end, his friend said, now tell me this, you have such great wealth, plenty of flocks and everything. Why did you get a lamb from that poor shepherd? And he said, I could have, I could have paid him. I could have set the thing straight. But instead, now he can ask of me even greater things. I am now in his debt in some ways. Jesus begins this conversation with a woman that he should not be talking to. The scriptures tell us that because he is a Jew and she is a woman that they should not be conversing at the well. But Jesus shows up and asks her a question. Can you give me some water? He makes a request. 
And I love it because this, this well becomes the place where they can become neighbors, where they can share their lives together in a different and new way. It's like my, my friend who has tools. I live a mile out of dirt road. It's, I, you know, I moved to North Carolina from Miami. In Miami, they have a lot of people. I don't know if you know that or not. And, and when I moved in, I was a mile from my nearest neighbor. But it wasn't long before someone moved in, kind of crowding the neighborhood. He lived a half mile from us. And he said, what's mine is yours. He's, we, we share lawnmowers and weed whackers and leaf blowers. He began by, by neighboring me, by showing us how we can live together. And so Jesus says, you know, if you knew the water that I can offer you, you would ask it of me, that I would give you a drink. He's giving her this, this, this opening, this chance to do this, this chance to seek something greater and deeper. She says, give me this water that you've promised, this water that I may never be thirsty or have to keep humming, coming here to draw water. And Jesus says to her, go call your husband and come back. And the woman answers, I have no husband. So she's being, what she says is, is legally true and yet somehow keeping herself at a distance. Jesus says, what you have said is right in saying I have no husband because you have had five husbands and the man with whom you are now, is, he is not your husband. And so she has this moment. There's this pivot spot where she could go on being the kind of neighbors that share a fence well but nothing else. She could go on sort of protecting her life and the things that she has, the way she approaches things, or she can face that truth. She decides to face that truth. That's a tough thing to do. Some years ago when I was serving a church in Polk County, the chair of our pastor parish relations committee said to me, I think you should go kayaking every Friday. I know. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to have someone tell you that? Make sure you go like, do something fun like that. And it was at a time when, when, as pastors, we were supposed to have an accountability group. And so I invited a friend, Brian Combs, who I'm sure you all know, to come and kay kayak with us uh, every Friday. And when we first went, I was sort of the seasoned uh, one of the group, and it was chaotic. I mean, we were like going over rapids and dropping down water. It was, it was beautiful, it was powerful, but it was, they called it a yard sale. When they, people looked out, and there was all this gear floating in the water, because we'd flipped, and we couldn't get back in our boats, and you know, we were going around, and... and um, and as someone helped us pull, pull over and get all our stuff in, uh, someone else helped pull my boat in. He had a really hard time and he looked and he saw that I didn't have float bags in my boat. Float bags are like, 
big uh, air pillows that you put in the empty spots of your boat so if you flip over and swim, your boat doesn't fill completely with water. So these float bags would have kept probably 30 gallons of water out of my boat, which is, you know, like 240 pounds. But I didn't have float bags in my kayak because I was a seasoned kayaker. I was there to help other people. And he said to me, he said, those float bags are not for you. You put them in your boat, but they're for other people who are going to help you when you're in trouble. I refused to put float bags in my boat because I wasn't going to have trouble. I was unwilling to face the truth that we're all going to swim at some point. We're all going to hit a place in our lives where it seems like our lives have flipped over and there's nothing but fear running through us. And we have a chance at that moment to decide to be present to that truth or to cover it up and say, no, I got it. I, I'll take care of all this. I'll, I'll do this. Or it must have been someone else's fault. Or, you know, there's a thousand ways we can avoid it. But Jesus said to the woman, what you have said is right. The man you are with now is not your husband. He's, he's not condemning her, pushing. He's not striving for a confession. What he wants her to do is to be present to the truth of what was going on in her life. And my guess is that her life was not flourishing the way she'd hoped. I don't know why she had five husbands, whether there was death or whatever could have happened, but I can imagine because she was at that well at noon, that she felt pushed away by her community. They shunned her. She wasn't the kind of people they hung out with. She might have been part of the community, but nobody treated her like a neighbor, except Jesus. And Jesus said, what you have said is, is, is right. You don't have a husband now. And when she sees that, she acknowledges her truth. She says, sir, I see that you are a prophet. I see that what you have said about me is true. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem because she was about to worship right there. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation comes from the Jews. The hour is coming and is now here. He says, that's what's happening right here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all these things to us. She's struggling to make sense of what's going on right here and now. And Jesus says to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. That moment is now. Doesn't require a mountain, doesn't require a temple. What it requires is truth and spirit. She has accepted 
her truth, and now I believe she has been given that living water. I think Paul talks about it beautifully in Romans chapter 5 verse 3 when he says, you know, we rejoice even in our suffering because our suffering produces endurance and that endurance produces a character and that character produces a hope. And that hope, that yearning, that thirsting, he said that hope will not be disappointed because the love of God will be poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I believe that's what happened to her in that moment. It's hard to tell. It doesn't tell you all the details, but it says later on, beyond where we read earlier, just then his disciples came and they were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one said, what, what do you want or why are you speaking to her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. That's what she'd asked for. She said, why don't you give me this water, this living water that will leave me no more thirsty and that I may not have to come back here to gather water again. And so filled by the Holy Spirit, the love of God poured into her heart, she doesn't care about that jar anymore. Those things that kept her apart from other people, those things have been washed away too. And she turns and she goes she goes back to her community. The very people that cast her out and made her go to the well at noon. The very people who think they know all about her and know why they should keep their kids away from her house. She goes back and it says that she told him about this man who knew everything about her. We so often talk about following Jesus, making disciples, and we miss sometimes that transform the world. Jesus didn't give her instructions on how to do this. He just filled her with that living water. Her love that she experienced in Jesus Christ was what she then went and shared with others. My friend used to say, what's mine is yours, right? The tools that he has and shares. He didn't say out loud, but I came to find out what he also means when he says what mine, what's mine is yours are also the road. That road we live on that we share, we have to get out with, I literally this past week was out with a rake, you know, raking it. The burdens that we are as neighbors, we also share. This woman goes back and tells all that she has. She has faced her truth. And she's gone back and shares that with her community. And then listen to this. At the end, after these, these people have heard her tell of Jesus, they go out and they get Jesus to come and stay with them. Again, they're, they're, there's this neighboring process going on. And they say, and more believed because of his word, because of the encounter they had with Jesus. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the savior of the world. That's the other pivot point. They began this encounter with Christ because of what they had heard from others. And they said, we believed because of what you said. But because, my guess is, 
they were able to accept this word from one who was outcast, from the lowest, the least, that it transformed them. I appreciate the work that this church engages in all the time in Haywood Street. It's about re-neighboring this community we call Asheville. That's part of the transformation of the world is that we again begin to have these entangled relationships with those around us. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just our family. It's not just our community. But it's all of creation. Today is Earth Day. And we're reminded that Jesus said that I I came to reconcile all things unto myself. Those things of heaven and on earth. And so we, we have this process of this neighbor well. The well where they became neighbors. And then as this woman goes back and re-neighbors her community, that they neighbor well. They do it, a good job of that. And so the thing that I would leave you with that is my desire as I go around the, the district is that if you have had that experience of the love of God being poured into your heart, then you continue to share that with a, a, a thirsty world. Whether it's a mission trip like to Lumberton, I've been with your, uh, with your team twice to go to Lumberton. Uh, that's one way to, to, to be a part of the transformation of the world. Or maybe it's just being a good neighbor to someone close to you. If you haven't had that experience of the love of God, that living water that leaves you no longer thirsty, no longer caring about the, um, being caught up or enslaved to the things of the world, then I would recommend this. Ask yourself, what is that question Jesus would ask you that he asked of that woman? What is the question that Jesus would ask you that you might want to hide a little bit or you might want to be safe in in terms of not revealing what's really going on and then be able to be present to the truth of that. And finally, if none of this makes any sense to you, then next time you're really thirsty, ask someone for a drink. In the name of Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. Amen. Our final hymn today is number 141, Children of the Heavenly Father.
And now under Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you and strengthen you and present you as faultless, be all honor, praise, and glory. And may you go forth this week part of the kingdom of God that is re-neighboring our communities with living water in Christ's name. Amen.